This episode of Tales from Ostlantis is brought to you by Ostlantis Premium. Don't you just hate having your favorite podcast interrupted by ads like this? Well, dear listener, you're in luck. Because starting at just three bucks a month, you can support independent Chicano media and receive ad-free episodes, premium episodes, bonus content, and access to our Discord server. Just visit talesfromastlantis.com and click Go Premium, or follow the link in the show notes. And now, on with the show. You must excuse me. I've grown quite weary. This hasn't been easy, I know. But you've learned a lesson. A lesson in honesty. Honesty to yourself and honesty to others. That lesson will stand you in good stead all your life. I think we've all learned a good lesson. I've always heard that honesty is the best policy. Now I'm catching on to why that's so, 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 why that's so. Yali no Chimer, and welcome to Tales from Astlantis, the show where we explore Mesoamerican pseudo history, New Age nonsense, and other stories of adventure. We are your hosts, Curly Tlapoyawa and Ruben Arellano, also known as Tlacateca. Welcome, dear listeners, to episode 10 of Tales from Astlantis. We're going to switch it up a little bit on this episode and do our very first crossover with the Reality Dysfunction Podcast. We've recorded this interview with Ruben and I and the host of the Reality Dysfunction, Dr. Ernesto Todd Mireles, as a way to explain our positions and give our listeners uh, a better understanding of who we are and where we come from and what our goals are with this podcast. I encourage you to look up the reality dysfunction on whatever podcatcher that you use and give it a listen because it's a really, really good podcast. It's described as broadcasting from occupied territories a space where diverse groups of brown folk from across the nation can explore the political experiences in the social future of the Chicano community. Control the narrative. Resist the dysfunction. The Reality Dysfunction is hosted by Ernesto Mireles. He's a professor of social justice studies at Prescott College and the author of the award-winning book, Insurgent Aslan. So... Here we go with our very first crossover. I hope you enjoy this episode of Tales from Astlantis. Greetings, dysfunctionals. Dr. Ernesto back today with Curly Tlapoyawa and Dr. Ruben Ariano to talk with them about their new podcast, Tales from Aslantis. For all of you out there who are reading and working to uncover and recover our indigenous past, these two brothers are doing solid work in uncovering the encroachments of Western thought on indigenous thought. This is good stuff. But before we get into it, let's have these two introduce themselves. Okay, well, my name is Ruben Ariano, known as Tlacateca, and uh, uh, I'm a uh, professor of history. I teach history, and I've been doing that for about five to six years now, professionally. Received my PhD in history, master's. Uh, I went through the ethnic studies program. Uh, so I'm versed in ethnic studies, history of, you know, anthropology, uh, you name it. And I, but I've been studying, you know, um, 
things related to Chicano history, Mexican uh, history since I was a kid, since I was a teenager. You know, I used to go to the library and, and check out books, you know, interested in my background, my history. Back when, you know, Chicanismo was in the 90s, you know, the mid to, to late 90s or early to mid 90s because it started fading in the late 90s. But it was still, you know, a cool thing to say that you were Chicano in, in many places, you know, to claim that, you know, not only Mexicano, Mexican-American, but also Chicano. And so that's. That's how I got into Mexicayo, you know, um, in the late 90s, 99, 2000, and got into danza. I was on Sante for a while, did ceremony, uh, you know, um, Mexica Sweat Lodges. I uh, went to Wirikuta a number of times with uh, Michael Puli here in Dallas. Um, done ceremony with Micholes, with Raramuris, um, with Maya. I mean, you name it, uh, northern uh, uh ceremonies as well with the NAC and Coahuiltecos recently in the last four to five years. So I'm, you know, I've, I've been in the tradicion uh, one way or another for a good 20 something years at this point. And so that's, that's what I bring to, to the discussion in terms of uh, the podcast that we have going on, uh, the uh, Tales from Aslantis. Uh, my name is Curly Plapoyawa. I am an archaeologist working in the state of New Mexico. I'm a, uh, Professor of Chicano Studies at the prestigious Colegio Chicano del Pueblo, a free online learning institution uh, that specializes in Chicano Studies. And I am one of the co-hosts of Tales from Astlantis. I, um, I got first introduced into, you know, the Danza Azteca around 1992 during one of the uh, 500 years of resistance events that was being held at the university of New Mexico, I saw a group of danzantes performing and I was just really attracted to it. You know, the, the drum, the, the smell of the copal is just seeing the, the dance. I, I, I knew that it was something that I really wanted to be a part of. So I started dancing here locally with one of the local calpulis, you know, from there, I just went full on into uh, exploring, um, as much about my culture as I could, you know, I'm a child of the Chicano movement. So I always grew up with a very strong political identity. I just grew, you know, grew up around that in Southern Colorado. It was, it was pretty contentious during the, the Chicano movement, a lot of violence, a lot of uh, police violence, car bombing, stuff like that. So that's just kind of like the environment that I grew up in. So I had this very strong political identity, but it's funny because my mom was always, um, kind of given me hell like yeah you know all this about politics but what do you know about this you know what do you know about your culture what do you know about your history and so she kind of really guided me along you know she gave me all of her old um, Chicano studies books from when she was in school just really guided me uh, on that path and eventually you know I moved to Mexico I, I went to a lot of ceremonies I was a, I, I danced with the Mexicayo with uh, Every weekend there in the Socalo, I was there studying Nahuatl, uh, studying my family's history. And then when I came back, I moved to Texas, and that's where I met Ruben. And uh, we just kind of fell into the same group and uh, became really good friends. And a lot of the same stuff, you know, doing medicine meetings, uh, going to uh, different danza events. I used to host a, a Nahuatl study circle at my house. We would just get together all the time and, and trade ideas it was about that time, you know, I, I, I was like a hardcore student of Mexicayo, right? Like I wanted to be the hard, the, like the most down Azteca that I could be. 
And so I just read voraciously every piece of information that I could. And, you know, it was Ruben and I were always kind of the, um, I don't want to say the troublemakers, but, you know, we were the ones that, what's that? The odd men out. Yeah. You know, we, we were the ones that were always questioning things. I think it was just in our nature to, well, we would hear something. We'd be like, ah, what'd you think about that? When that guy said this and we, but it would be by ourselves, right? We wouldn't say it out in front of everybody else because we didn't know how other people were going to respond to it. But we started hearing, you know, you'd hear some things in ceremony or from other people that, that were coming through Texas and, you know, spreading their teachings. And um, we would just kind of like shoot each other a look like, ah, did you hear that? And then we would regroup later and, and do our own research and look into it. Like, well, where's this stuff? Where's this stuff coming from? Yeah. For example, did you know that um, Citlali is our first home? That's where we yes. come from. We come from the stars. Se Tlali. Because you break down the word Sitlali, it's Se Tlali. Se one Tlali Earth. So one land because we come from the Pleiades. And I remember we were in the same ceremony when somebody said that. And everybody's sitting around the circle. There's a fire going, you know, and you could see everybody nodding their heads like, yeah, yeah. And Ruben and I just kind of like stare at each other from across the circle. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just hear what? <laughs> All right. Our trick music. Yeah, that kind of set off our whole um, endeavor, which has culminated in this podcast where we're finally just kind of putting it all out there. We'll be back after a quick break. Have you picked up your Mexica calendar for the year 12 Flint? Or how about a paperback copy of The Four Disagreements? Just visit TalesFromAstlantis.com for all the latest merchandise and show some love for your favorite podcast. That's TalesFromAstlantis.com for all the latest merchandise. Now, back to the show. I want to say at the risk, I don't know about the cyst, but at the risk of uh, sounding like a, a total fanboy, um, really into the podcast looking forward to uh the other episodes uh tales from as Aslantis. and so like clearly i've been following your work for a while this is a this isn't the first time that you've been on the podcast on uh, the reality dysfunction I, I really appreciate you coming back to talk about this and ruben it's really nice to meet you i've also been uh following uh the work that you're doing and so you know i've just been listening to this podcast over the last couple of days really just kind of blown away by the way that you guys are, are approaching it. I mean, it's very uh, factual. It's very matter of fact. I know before we started recording, you all had said something about how people are charging you with being sarcastic about your culture. Uh, I don't pick that up at all. I, it seems to me that there's really very little sarcasm. I think that that might be actually the problem with a lot of people. It's like you said at the end of your uh, first podcast Really, you know, the truth, it it doesn't, it's like medicine. It doesn't always mm -hmm. taste good, but it's good for you. Where, I mean, I know where the information for this podcast comes from, but what was the sort of process that you all went through to, um, to arrive at this moment? Like, we need to do this. It's an idea that we'd been kicking around for a while, right? And then finally, we were just like, you know, we should do it. <laughs> like, we, because we had talked about it before. And, um, I'm a big fan of this one podcast uh, that I listen to a lot. 
that kind of inspired me to um, just finally sit down and write out a structure of like, okay, if we do it, this is how we should do it. And then we just, we just talked one day and set a date and a time. We're like, let's just try it. And uh, yeah, recorded. So I started a podcast with a, a colleague of mine when I was at El Paso a couple of years ago. And, and it's, it's unfortunate the distance and, you know, you know, we're both kind of busy. He's a professor of history as well. And, and we just couldn't keep it up. And we talked about keeping it up and we just couldn't do it. So I, that's where I got my, my start. But before doing that podcast, I had been very um, uh, intimidated by the whole idea of, of doing a podcast. I didn't know the first thing about, you know, because to me, it seemed like doing a radio show, but it's online. And as opposed to a radio show where, you know, you tune in, and you listen to it. And if you missed it, you know, oh, well, with this, it's like anyone can access it at any time. As long as it's up on the internet, someone can download it and share it. And that, that, that can get a little intimidating if you're kind of old school like me and you're not really used to, you know, I mean, I didn't grow up, you know, wanting to be a, a radio host. So, you know, but I think this idea of sharing our knowledge is something that we've been talking about for a long time. And so we've done it over the years through various media. We started doing it. Uh, I, I mean, you could say that it really started back in the old Mexica Eagle Society discussion boards that we used to have mm -hmm. back in the the early aughts into the early teens. And then after that, the, the, you know, you had other platforms. That's when, you know, Facebook came around and then Twitter. And so people started migrating to those spaces. And so we sort of migrated too. And then people started, you know, getting into the whole blog thing. And so we decided to give it a shot there. And so that's where the idea for the Mexica.org transitioning from the old Mexica society type of website to a more blog focused website came into you know being and so that's where we started to write and share our ideas our thoughts our ever-evolving sort of notion of what it means to be a Mexica within Mexicayot and you know what does it mean to be indigenous in terms of the indigeneity of one's person you know and so that you know we've, we've written about this stuff over the years and we've kind of tossed around the idea of uh, doing a podcast once you know, we we realized that people weren't really. I mean, you still have some traffic to to these websites reading reading our old material, but it, it started to dwindle uh, some years ago when people started to you know focusing more on on content that's more audio and visually related. You know, people don't really have time for whatever reason. You know, to sit down and read something, and everyone's on their phone nowadays. So you you know, people want you know media that they can consume on their phone, and so what's the best way to do that than through you know something that's that's an audio uh, consumption. So this just made sense, you know. And so now what we're doing is we're sort of recycling some of the old things that we've written over the years and, and ideas that we've discussed and tossed around over the years. And, and we're translating that into this into this podcast medium. As I've been listening over the, the last couple of days, I mean, you guys have been going over a whole bunch of stuff, even in these these first couple of episodes. I mean, the, the range is... It's, I think it's it's pretty astonishing. I guess my my biggest question, I mean, as I'm listening to it, I have a, a, several questions that I really want to ask you guys. But I think just kind of starting it off, to me, what it seems like is that you have a project that's that you've begun, and certainly not just in the podcast, but, you know, like Ruben was talking about a second ago, over a period of years through like the websites and the different things, but that it's it's really about confronting uh, Western encroachment, like thought encroachment, you know, and, and, and the way that 
like the initial uh, missionaries and religious people that came over, it's like a 500 year plus psyops, op, like this psychological operation where they're like totally subverting the ideas of the way that indigenous people at the time thought about the world, right? And so I guess part of my question is, why is it so important to to confront that encroachment at this point? I mean, 500 years later, there's a whole bunch of things that, that have happened, you know, politically and culturally, right? I mean, the, the whole idea of decolonization is, is alive. I don't know if it's well, but it's alive, right? What, what difference does it make if Hunabku is something that our ancestors talked about? Well, as a... <laughs> that's, that's a loaded question. Yeah, There's a lot going on there. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I can say that as first and foremost, just as um, even just outside of like a, a cultural lens, just as a scientist, I want the best, most accurate information possible. Like I want to make my decisions based on solid information. I That's want Western well, thinking, Carly. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well-informed decisions. No, they don't. On, they, I don't think Western people they they don't get to capture that. That's uh. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, so you know, I I, I don't like to be um. I don't know what's what's a good word for it. Like just embedded in dogma. And just have this unchangeable position, right? Like, no, this is what I learned. And it could, because that's, that's what religious fundamentalists do. And I'm not a religious fundamentalist. So I want good information. And so my perspectives will change as you present better information to me, right? It's, and that's not the, the sole domain of, of white people, like being able to change your perspective based on good information. And, and it's funny because I get attacked like that. Uh, quite a bit, especially on Facebook, people will be like, well, you're, a, you know, as an archaeologist, you're, you're supporting the white man's science or, you know, you're using books. Our ancestors didn't use books. <laughs> and it's like, well, actually they did. They, they burned most of them. That's the problem is we don't have the records. The um, book people. Yeah. The book people. And um, so for me, it's important because the, the truth matters, you know, facts matter. When you can distort history, you can control how people think. You control how people view themselves and view their position in history. And if people are being fed disinformation, deliberate, deliberate disinformation, then they're being manipulated. And I don't like seeing my people be manipulated. And that's, that's where it comes from for me. You know, I, I, I feel a moral and ethical obligation to spread, you know, information, the best information that I can. And, you know, I make mistakes. So, you know, you don't have to agree or don't just believe what I'm saying just because I'm, it's me saying it, you know, look, look into it. And, and here are the resources, you know, we provide citations and, and resources and, and we refer people to primary sources like here, you know, you don't have to agree with us because it's not just coming from us. You could look at the actual, you know, historical record, the archaeological record, and um, and have the the information to make uh, a, an educated uh, form, an educated opinion about these things. So to me, it's it's like an obligation. Just carrying on from, 
you know, the legacy that my mom left me of caring about my culture, you know, 46 years later, I, I've got to maintain that. You know, I, I, I can't just sit quiet while nonsense gets spread. I've always been that way. That's just like my, uh, my nature. That's why nobody likes me. <laughs> no nonsense zone? Is that what's it? <laughs> That's what's happening right cool now. Cool story, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think for me, I mean, I, I agree with with most of what uh, Curly's saying there. I might have some disagreements here and there. I mean, we all do, and, and that's the point of like uh, one of the things that we bring to the podcast is that we don't necessarily agree on everything. I don't know if you've noticed. We don't make a big deal about it, but we do sort of bounce ideas back and forth. And for me, I think what's important here as well is this idea that people are being deceived into thinking that something is ancient when it really is not right and going back to this idea of wanting to get to the facts and wanting to know you know the truth and scare quotes right um, as, as, a, as a professor of history when i tell my students that in history we're not trying to prove anything we know what the facts are use the facts use those sources to interpret that history and to say something substantive about it why is it important why does that specific story matter to us today in the present just because something happened in the past doesn't make it history. It's the way that we approach it, the way that we interpret it, that makes it history because it, it's something that is important to us. And so I feel that it's important for us as people who subscribe to this idea of indigeneity as Chicanos, Mexicanos, that subscribe to Mexicayot or the Red Road or the Tradicion, whatever moniker you want to give it, that we are truthful and honest to the new people that are coming on board so that they don't get deceived into thinking, that this is an unbroken tradition that dates back to the pre-invasion of the Spanish. So there's truth to the notion that traditions, um, you know, have evolved since then. It doesn't mean that they that they remain the same, right? Because uh, anything that stays static is going to stagnate and it's going to die. That's just a truism of life itself. And so to suggest and to try to imply and to try to convince people that this thing that they're doing that they're being taught that they're being inculcated in is some unbroken untainted tradition that dates back to 500 years uh, i think that's the service to the people and they should and, and you should be honest enough and, and you should be be able you should be able to to be honest with yourself as well as a person that's uh, making these uh, uh pr pronouncements to say to those people that look we understand that our tradition, when the Spanish came, it did, they did a lot of harm to our culture, to our people, to our society, to our ways of life, to our spirituality. And we've tried to recover that over the years. And this is the best that we've been, been able to do. But to sit there and also say, some ancient ancestor told such and such. It's like, well, do you really know that? How, yeah. how accurate is that information? And, and why does that make it any more meaningful or impactful or powerful? Yeah. You know? I mean, we, our history is, is legitimate. It's fascinating and meaningful enough without, you know, adding all of this extra stuff to it and making it more fanciful and more, you know, deep, you know, oh man, you don't understand the way I see things. I have a very deep understanding of the world <laughs> because this elder taught me this and he didn't get it from a book. It's like, are you sure? Because I've got a book that says that exact same thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just funny because people, they got this idea that 
it's not meaningful unless you somehow ascribe some sort of magical thinking to it or antiquity to it or antiquity to it. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the reasons that those people uh, who are uh, saying that we're sarcastic or or whatever, maybe they're just picking up on the fact that Ruben and I have known each other for over 20 something years. And when we get together and we talk about things, we just we're friends, you know, we talk to each other the way friends talk to each other. We're yeah. And and that might come across as being um, unprofessional, unprofessional or, or whatever. But hey, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm it's sure. a freaking podcast. And yeah, I'm I sure people, you know, it's like if you want serious stuff, read my read, read my work, which I doubt you will do because it's too long and you don't want to, you know, spend five minutes reading stuff. So, you know, please get over yourselves. Yeah, if they, podcast. If they want to read, if they want serious stuff, then they can buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> buy my book. Exactly. So I think. <laughs> I mean, it's the same kind of argument that I've yeah. heard from people on Twitter because on Twitter, I'm, I'm you know, uh, I'm, I've always been uh, not necessarily a, a clown, but I, I, I yeah. like to poke fun at stuff, and sure. and and I, and people can perceive that a wrong the, the wrong way. And so uh, it's like I tell people, this is Twitter. What do you expect from me? I mean, you want me to publish my dissertation on Twitter? Come on, please. Yeah, yeah. and anybody who's known either of us for any extended period of time just knows our personalities, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I tell people like, hey, I, I hate to break it to you, but if you're looking for like the deep spiritual elder teacher guru type that I'm not, I'm not that guy, you know, I'm just myself. I'm not going to play a character. I grew up the way I grew up. I have my opinions and the way I talk to people. And it just so happens that Ruben and I, you know, click really well, even when we disagree with each other, it's like, it never comes to like, uh, you know, like an argument or anything. We were able to, to talk to each other and have disagreements but we're still friends. And I think, I think that's the, the biggest lesson of all Yeah, is you could disagree with people and, and not, uh, knock them over the head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not and still make each other them. laugh and still have fun and still enjoy each other's company. Yeah. And not call them vendidos just because you disagree with them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry about that, by the way. I was pretty riled up. Vas a ver, cabrón, cuando te ves. <laughs> I uh, really enjoyed the example that you guys that you put out about the young Nawa men uh, who were uh, creating new Dia de los Muertos uh, traditions and dances. Um, yeah, in, in the Huasteca. Yeah, I think that. See that that's the thing is I mean, uh, for full transparency, I'm not a historian, but what I am, uh, I think more than anything, is sort of a, a culture person right and really thinking about you know how culture is dynamic right how things how things are always changing it really interesting you know to think about those those young men creating those new traditions right and how everybody you know maybe so shocked and so mad at them you know right now but 50 or 60 years from now you know the the, the full weight of whatever just kind of sets in and then it becomes the way that we've always done it you know, yeah. and to, to think about, you know, how that works. And, and I think for myself, you know, I think about how much energy is wasted in the Chicano movement, politically, culturally, emotionally, or whatever, by people saying, oh, that's, that's not the way we do it. Or, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're wrong or, you know, just, and it's just like, 
it boggles me sometimes. Yeah, like it's, it's, you got to do it the Chicano way. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but which Chicano way? The Texas Chicano way? The yeah. Michigan well, Chicano well, way? Well, that's that's the only true way, right? The Texas Chicano way. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I have heard people say that, yes. <laughs> well, so, um, and, and that's one of the, the things that people get hung up on is this, uh, this desire for antiquity without realizing that tradition, this dance in particular, it's very ephemeral. And all it takes is one person turns left once instead of right. And then they teach it that way. Yep. Or, well, now you turn left and then now it's, now it's changed forever, Yeah, it but it's not one, any less significant. One person to take the Poposhkomet, put it in the center of the dance arena and put their foot over it and call it the fire dance or something. Yeah. That, that's technically what happened with that danza. You know, it wasn't yeah. a concerto tradition at all. It was invented by none other than dun, dun, dun. who was it that would be uh was that florencio yeah that was florencio, yeah, florencio. Yes. that was his invention and now you see it it's a standard uh dance trope that you see most dancantes do in public uh, appearances it's like i've done it they, they get up there and you know they put, they put the, the the incense burner and then they do this little dance and you know sing a little song and make a little noise <laughs> Down tonight. That's funny. <laughs> I guess part of my my question is, is as I was listening to it, like I, I was um I was taking in everything that you guys were saying, the way that uh, you're exposing a lot of these ideas or these concepts, the whole discussion around Ometeot. I mm-hmm. mean, blew me away, man. Seriously, blew me away, because I was just like, huh, because I would have never known any of that right and so it's uh because i mean I, i probably also wouldn't have taken the time to try to uncover it you know so i'm here i'm listening you had a moment uh where you were talking about uh traditions and um you know how you know all tradition is you know uh created right which is you know mm-hmm. obviously true i guess my question is with with this particular podcast knowing uh, a little bit about both of you is what what's the political goal of this of this podcast world domination no um <laughs> the same thing we do every night yeah that's right <laughs> we do every day uh you know what it's just to uh, uplift people people's standards really for because look if you're willing to accept uh erroneous information uncritically if you're willing to accept things uncritically whether it's culturally or politically or whatever right sacrosanct yeah you can't question these things so if we're i'm just trying to get people to to open up and and think more critically look more critically at things and that that just spills over because to have a Chicano identity, that's inherently political, right? That's inherently a political statement to say that you're a Chicano. Yeah. And if you're going to accept things uncritically, well, that's that's uh, that's not any that's not good for anybody. So hopefully, by presenting like, look, hey, we're involved in this tradition. We are, you know, reasonably educated people, and we've come to these conclusions, and we like, you know question question things and that's just gonna spill over you know as a political goal i don't know if we have any specific political goal but i i would say that 
My personal goal is just to produce better informed Chicanos who are able to look at things critically and skeptically and right. and have a, a you know the uh, the ability to deconstruct things uh, whether it's in the political realm the cultural realm spiritual you know whatever they want to do just to be able to come at it from this perspective like well I don't have to believe this just because an elder says it you yeah. know because like I'm often reminded you know, dumb people get old too. You know, <laughs> but 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 Curly, these are indigenous elders. Yeah, right. Doesn't that make a difference? Yeah, I mean that cracks me up because people think like, well, this 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 guy's a a native speaker, so therefore everything he says about you know the culture is a hundred percent accurate. It's like, well, I'm a native English speaker. You know, it doesn't give me any sort of special insight yeah. into the English speaking world or about you know, the queen currently. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> But my question to you, Ernesto, is does it have to be political? I mean, why is there a need for um, our approach to wanting people to at least know the origin of the things that they subscribe to? Why does that have to have a political angle to it? And what is like, what is your interpretation of, of what we're doing? Uh, well, for the first part of the question, I would say that everything that we do is inescapably political, particularly as the descendants of uh, conquered, colonized um, indigenous people. I don't think that we really have or can undertake actions that don't have some sort of a political consequence or ramification. You know, But does that inherently make the thing that's being or the act that's being done just because there's a political consequence to that? Does it make it inherently a political act? I, yeah, before I would, the consequence was applied to it. I, I would say that everything that we do is it has a, a political context. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm, okay. I mean, that's that's what I would argue. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I would answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it is uh, a particularly, I mean, if you, if, if you're uh, involved in a project and use the words culture, then you are, you're committing a political act because remember all culture is made up. I mean, you guys said that in, in mm -hmm. the podcast, right? I mean, if we're talking about breathing or we're talking about taking a crap, but even taking a crap, man, depends on which hand you wipe your butt with. You That's know what I'm political. saying? It is because if you try to shake hands with the wrong hand, In certain places, you got las manos, cabrón. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I think that's one of the things that that has really struck me about this. And, and the reason that, that I asked the question is, well, yeah, because, I mean, I, I, you know, to me, when I listen to this, what, what I hear you guys uh, really doing is, one, pushing people to think. And pushing them to to question and and to be skeptical, all of, all of these things that that were just said. My question, you know, and, and what I'm thinking is, and I ask this question myself: what's what's the end goal of this, mm -hmm. right? Like, what if we if we're taking this information out to the community, okay, and we're saying, okay, look, these things right here. This here's here's five more ways that they fucking tricked us. You want, right? me, to, mm -hmm. want me to answer that? Uh, sure. The The end goal is to storm the Teocalis. <laughs> okay. 
I, I mean, well, for me personally, the <laughs> end goal is uh, Ruben and I have talked about this a lot about this possible. Is there a way to reform this mm. movement? Right. And I'm not going to, you know, be so bold as to say like, yes, we are going to single-handedly reform this movement. But I think starting the conversation is important. And I, I've had a lot of feedback on this, uh, the podcast. Oh, I, and I bet you have. Before you get yeah. into it, does that also make us uh, restorationists of a sort? If we're trying to reform Mexicano, are we the latest iteration mm -hmm. of yeah, all those possibly. restorationists? I mean, that's something to think about too. Yeah, we are the uh, the latest iteration of Movimiento Confederado <laughs> Escepticista Plus or Escepticista. <laughs> I will call this Chicanadas. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we could be. But, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But, you know, not everyone, not everyone that, that's a Mexica or follows Mexica in the U.S. is a Chicano or, or identifies as a Chicano. Yeah. yeah. Right. So a lot of people in, in my Calpula here in Dallas, uh, a lot of those folks, even if they're native born ethnic Mexicans, they don't necessarily subscribe to a Chicano identity. Yeah. Right? These are people who are maybe half my age or, you know, our age, whatever. And, and they weren't brought up with this idea of thinking of themselves as Chicanos. And so that's not even part of the equation for them. For them, it's this is a tradition that is, you know, traces its roots to Mexico, to to indigenous people of what we consider Mesoamerica. And that has links to the the north through, you know, the legend of the now we meet and the four arrow, arrows that were shot in the four different directions. And that's how you bring in the Sundance. And that's how you can, you know, pick and choose from various indigenous traditions and to come up and create this new pan-indigenous spiritual approach to your own indigenous identity. Right. And so it's even more complicated than just, you know, applying this to Chicanos because we have yeah. people from Central America, South America, I mean, at one point we had people in our group that were from, um, I want to say from South America, Guarani. Uh, I've met people who are part of the Mexicaya tradition in, in the broader general sense who are Puerto Rican from the island, not from like a New Yorkian or from the state, right? But from, from like the island itself that, that identify as Boricuas and they have their own, you know, indigenous tradition, but they sort of latch on to Mexicaga because of the people that they know or what have you. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's more than just, you know, a politically charged uh, identitarian spiritual movement of Chicanos. It's, it's, it's grown beyond that. It's way, I mean, you have danza groups in South America, you have danza groups in Europe, in Spain, mm -hmm. in Germany, and they're springing up all over the place. I mean, the latest one that I hear of, I think is um, there's a, um, Mexicaya red road tradition in Japan, right? So this <laughs> is Mexicaya. Yeah. makes total sense though. Mexicaya <laughs> is going global. I mean, it started with the lowriders back in the eighties. Yeah, right? I was gonna say, of course, there's a, of course, there's a dancer group in Japan. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you've you've all seen that video of the the Japanese cholos, right? Yeah. And they all have that. They all love that Chicano identity. I was telling but that you. Goes, I mean, people think that that's a new thing. That go, I mean, yeah, I remember that goes the back. Low Rider magazine. They were yeah. publishing pictures of those guys back in the late 80s. Yeah. And I told Lalo Alcaraz, I was like, bro, pretty soon Japan's going to be the only safe place for Chicanos to go. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> the I, Latinxers are coming for us. <laughs> I think that I, I mean, obviously, all that is true. I, I don't think that it. Uh, I don't think it diminishes the political um, dimension of it at all. Um, actually, I think that it. it um, it, it actually broadens the political dimension of it. But uh, yeah, I, I think that those are those are good points, man. I mean, I think actually those are great points. I would say that it's not explicitly political what we're doing, but it, I guess you can apply political. Um, uh, you know, you can you can attach it politically to different agendas if you wanted to. Right? Sure. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I've been encouraged by the response from like old school veterano chicanos to like young cholos and everything in between writing yeah. me letters just uh, uh, emails writing me letters sitting down with a pen and <laughs> in a quill um you know uh, sending me messages on facebook and, and emails and stuff just uh thanking us for for putting this information out yeah and just saying man this is so cool that you're saying this um the older cats are like i wish something like this existed when i was young so I could hear alternative perspectives. I get some older cats who've written to me and they're like, bro, these are things that I've been questioning for a long time, but I've never wanted to bring up because of possible repercussions, yeah, right? Like My friendships. Religion, right? And yeah, it's I like mean, a religion. It's like that. the, what's that project called uh, where the priests are leaving, you know, they become atheists and, they, mm-hmm. and, and they're trying to find a, an escape from, from their church. Yeah, uh, it's I mean, it almost sounds like that, you know, it's like you, you you've done something for so long, for 20, 30 years yeah. and you begin to question it at some point. And, you know, you've invested so much time and effort and resources and it becomes for some people, this is their livelihood. This is what they this is literally yeah. what they do to earn a living. They go around and, you know, do, you know, ceremonies yeah. or 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 limpias or what have you right and that's all they do and they're not you know getting rich off of it but that's what that's a source of income for them right yeah and i understand it if if you know if someone comes in and, and tries to challenge what they do because you know it's like any other religion once you begin to challenge people's core beliefs uh it's like you're challenging their identity yeah right? mm-hmm. that's who they are that's who they identify as and for us as chicano mexicanos mexicos to be questioning you know, Mexicali, even though, you know, we've both, you know, spent 20 something years, you know, practicing it and, and engaging it to the fullest extent of our abilities, you know, it's, you know, even, even, you know, for us to do that, it's it's like, how dare you, you know, you're, you're, you're criticizing our culture, you're criticizing people who identify as indigenous, and it's opening the door for others to come in that already don't like us and to have some, you know, you're giving other people ammunition to come again. It's like, no, it's like, we're actually, I think it's in the reverse. I think we're empowering people to know the truth so that when someone does come at them with facts, mm-hmm. <laughs> they can at least yeah. be aware of them and they're not like blindsided by something that they've never heard of before. Exactly. Exactly. And we yeah. see that a lot with um because we you know in the Chicano community we have a tendency to lionize our heroes, right? So you're not allowed to question um people. And it's the same thing with the Mexicayot stuff. <clears throat> and for me, it's we're equipping people, right? Like Ruben just said, we're we're equipping them with better information so that when you know, because that that enables us to own it, right? We're the ones making the critique. We're the ones making the analysis. And so when our adversaries, people who are adversarial towards us, try to attack us, like Ruben said, it's not, 
they're not they're not getting hit out of nowhere. They they're already equipped with this information, and they could say, "Well, oh, hold on, you know, you need to understand the context of what's going on," and they could defend the, their position better having this information, as opposed to, you know, well, we're we're not allowed to ever question this, and um, you know, so you just go along thinking, "Yeah, okay, I'm I'm I." I learned this from an elder and I have all this authentic information. And then when they do get blindsided by somebody saying, you know, yeah, but what about the MCRCA? Yeah. But what about this? What about this guy? And, and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like I tell my students uh, early on, especially my, the students that take the first part of, of U.S. history. Uh, and, you know, we begin talking about indigenous people, the pre-invasion period, you know, the different societies that existed in North and Central and South America. And then once we get into the initial encounter, I tell students, how do you think that the Europeans were able to come to the Americas and initiate everything that came thereafter? And then you get the usual, you know, oh, Columbus this, oh, you know, they had ships, uh, they have better equipment to, you know, better tools, better weapons, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, okay, perhaps. But what if we look at it in terms of our own current moment? What is our own current moment? We're in the information age. What benefited Europeans and the, the way that they were able to arrive here first, and as opposed to Americans arriving in Europe, you know, in the reverse, right? The reverse scenario is that they had better information. They had better information that they had acquired from, you know, peoples in Africa, people in the Middle East, people in, 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 the, in the Far East and, in, you know, places in Asia, and so they were when when Europeans finally arrived at a moment where they were able to traverse the globe on a on a on a ship, they had better information in general as opposed to our ancestors who had been isolated in, in in these continents, you know, and they only had a certain amount of information. They were getting to that place. They were approximating, you know, the old world, if you know, to put it in those terms. But they were behind in information, technology, et cetera, right? So it wasn't so much yeah. that the Europeans were better at anything than our ancestors. They just happened to benefit from having more information at a specific moment in time. Yeah. And so if we don't have today the descendants of those people that suffered because of that lack of information, if we're going to continue that process of being uninformed or misinformed, then we're going to be just as bad as they were. And and they and it happened to them because they didn't know. And if it happens to us, whatever happens to us, because it's going to be because we we are willfully misinformed and and uninformed because we don't want to, you know, you know, venture out and 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 seek other alternative uh, uh, versions to the things that we already consider to be gospel, right? Yeah, yeah. it's part of the same the, the same mentality that you have to question. You know, th- I, I got this from one of the elders who responded to me personally about the podcast. He said, yeah, you have to question everything. And this is coming from someone who's also, you know, been in the tradition for 40, 50 years. And, and he agrees to that. Yeah. That, that he might not agree with everything that we are saying, or maybe he he doesn't um, um, know a lot of the stuff that we're, you know, uncovering. Uh, but he agrees that we should question it at least. Yeah. I know when I left church, I decided I was never going to go back. It didn't matter what it looked like. And so, I mean, I've, I've stuck with that. And I, I, I feel what you guys are doing. Like, one, uh, like all the way down, I feel it. I've, I've seen these conversations happen. I've seen the finger pointing, you know, the, the denunciation that comes along with it. 
you know, the, the whole like spiritual thing. I mean, you know, where like people are like, I just know because mm-hmm. like the spirit tells me and like this, yeah. you know, old guy told me or and I'm just like, I'm like, wow, like I, I can't I can't roll with that. Not for one second. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, f- I feel what. Uh, yeah, I, I feel what you guys are doing. We're we're almost out of time. You know, I just want to give you both one last opportunity to, you know, uh, say whatever it is that you want to about your about your podcast, where people can catch it at, you know, anything like that. Um, and I really appreciate both of you taking your time to come talk to me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, um, absolutely. You could catch it on any of the major podcatchers i think it's a you know itunes spotify stitcher all that stuff um i'm a little behind but i've been trying to put them up on youtube as well um some people like to listen i've it's funny i've i've actually had quite a few people message me and ask me like how do you listen to a podcast <laughs> so you gotta educate people on how to interact with the with the technology too well just so you all know out there if you have an alexa in your house you can tell Alexa to play Tales from Aslantis. And it recognizes um, it? Uh, I haven't tried that yours yet. I know it does mine. <laughs> but mine is also on on, on uh, iTunes. So I think if it does mine, it should probably do yours too. Sometimes so it takes Alexis a couple of times. but So you're putting out misinformation there, buddy. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, right. We, we've got some, some, some cool... Um, um, episodes um that are coming up uh there's one that's going to drop next week uh we're not going to tell you what it is you're just going to have to uh, wait and find out and we've got a lot more material uh it's not just going to deal with necessarily um you know spirituality it's going to also delve into things that 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 are historical and we're also going to bring it to you know more contemporary subjects that relate to chicanismo in general and and other adjacent topics so uh, yeah, I like that word, adjacent, adjacent. topics. There you go. So it, it allows us to explore outside of, you know, strictly Mexicayot because <clears throat> the, the cool thing about the Mexicayot stuff is, is the further you dig into it, you, you figure out that these guys really had an influence on just about every single aspect of, of Chicano identity. Yeah. You could find some connection to back in time to these to these original founders of the Mexicayot, whether you want to admit it or not, you know, whether you know it or not, because I didn't know this stuff for the longest time. And, uh, you know, when, when you start learning it, you know, I always say I, I don't want to compare myself to Malcolm X, but I, I can imagine how he felt when he realized that the nation of Islam was like a bunch of horse shit and just this feeling of of betrayal and dejection and like oh man what have i been doing and but then you know that's enabled me to kind of watch from the sidelines for a little bit and see okay well this is actually good you know this stuff this stuff is good this stuff not so good and i'm, I'm able to to have a more discerning eye you know, and I think that's if we could equip people to even do that much, just to look at it and be like, well, this that seems shaky, but this has value. So what can we do with this? And, you know, and, and how can how can we convince other people to get rid of this other stuff that has no value and then focus more on on legitimate? I don't even like using that word, but more stuff that has value, stuff that mm-hmm. benefits 
our sense of who we are and our culture because I still go to ceremony, you know, I still do danza. I enjoy it. Um, I still go to ceremony. I enjoy it. But I don't do it for the same reasons, maybe, right, right. that I was doing it before. Do it for and, the fellowship and the camaraderie and, you yeah. Know. And just like even the cult, there is cultural continuity, you mm-hmm. know, there. It may, it's not as old as people might think, but I like being part of that, yeah. you yeah. know, because if you look at it, hey, powwow isn't that old. Right. Native American church isn't that old. And they'll admit it. So, you know, they're yeah. not going to go around saying power has been around for millennia. I'm like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the you know, for us to look at Danza and be like, yeah, this isn't as old as we thought it was, but it's still, it, it has a tradition. It has protocols. It has a history. It has things that, that matter. And, and it's enjoyable. Yeah. And it's enjoyable and uh, it's part of who we are. And we don't need to, uh, you know, add add uh, false history to it to make it better. Yeah, to make it seem legitimate. Yeah. So follow us on Twitter at Aslantis Tales. And uh, do you have um, Instagram for this, Curly? I know you you do uh, Instagrams. I don't. I I mainly, I mean, I have an okay Instagram following, so I've just been using my my personal, personal one okay. to promote. So just Curly Tlapoyawa Instagram and Twitter. And my Chimali. personal Twitter is at Tlacatecat. And uh, chimali.org is the website. Maybe you should spell Tlacatecat. Yeah. yeah. A, lot of, <laughs> a lot of people don't know how to spell, how do you spell that. <laughs> T-L-A-K-A-T-E-K-A-T-L. Tlacatecat. Right. All right, guys. Thanks. I appreciate yeah. it. I'm looking forward to the next time. This is The Reality Dysfunction. Thank you for listening to Tales from Atlantis, a project of the Chimali Institute of Mesoamerican Arts. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. You can do this by visiting talesfromastlantis.com and clicking support the podcast. Your continued support will help keep the podcast ad-free and independent. Until next time, timoitase.